This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, this third Sunday of Lent gives us a couple of trees to think about. First of all, a bush that burns, and secondly, a tree that gives no fruit. The first image comes, of course, from the third chapter of the book of Exodus. We hear that Moses has been tending the flock of his father-in-law and has come to the vicinity of Horeb, the mountain of God, another name for Mount Sinai. He spies, here's the line from the scripture, a fire flaming out of a bush. He was surprised to see that the bush, though on fire, was not consumed. We are told that this is the manner in which the presence of Yahweh made itself felt. In Greek and Roman mythology, when the gods appear within the ambit of the world, they appear destructively, competitively, Something of the earthly has to give way in order to allow them to enter. In those old myths, when people see the gods in their proper form, they are consumed. But it is otherwise with the God of Israel. There's a very important point here I want you to see. The bush stands for the realm of creatures. When God comes close, the bush is on fire, but it is not consumed. This means now that God's presence to us makes us radiant and does not destroy us. When God, the true God, comes close, we are rendered more beautiful, more perfect, more fully ourselves. And, as I mentioned last week, we become a source of illumination for those around us. Think of the burning bush that sends light in every direction. Now, we find out in the further course of the story why this is the case. After God gives Moses his mission, Moses asks for God's name. It's now one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. Listen. But when I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, if they ask me, what is his name, what am I to tell them? God replied, I am who I am. Now, Moses is asking a commonsensical question. Which of the many gods are you? Moses undoubtedly believed, like most people of his time, in a variety of gods. 
the God of this place, the God of the mountain, the God of this people or that people. He's asking, in short, for a name that will distinguish this God from any other God or any other type of being. But see, God refuses to answer this kind of question. He simply says, I am who I am. You might think, well, it's just kind of a tautology, just a way of saying nothing in particular. But our tradition has found this answer fascinating. God is implying he's not a type of being at all. Not one thing among many. He's not a being. Following this prompt, our theologians have spoken of God as being itself. Thomas Aquinas called God ipsum esse. That's the Latin for to be itself. Thomas said, too, it's very curious, that God is not to be situated in any genus. You know, when you try to understand something, what you do is you put it in a category. You say, well, what kind of being is that? Well, that's a human being. Well, what's that? Well, that's a dog. What's that? Well, that's a building. You're putting these things in categories. It enables you to identify them, to compare them and contrast them to other things. It's the way the mind typically operates. But Aquinas says, you can't put God in any genus. Listen, even the genus being. That's the, that's the broadest possible genus you could imagine. Wouldn't all things fit in the genus of being? Well, maybe all creatures, Aquinas says, but not God. God is not this or that, not a being among many, but the sheer act of being itself. Now, do you see why this is so important? If God were a being, one thing among many, he couldn't come close to us without competing with us. Think, I, I can't move into your space without violating your space. The antelope can't become a lion without ceasing to be an antelope, without being devoured. A chair can become a pile of ash only by being burned. That's the way it is among creatures. We compete with each other. That's why those Greek and Roman gods, when they burst into the world, did so destructively. If I were to say, I'm taking over your life, I mean, you'd see that as an act of aggression and you'd be right. But God, but God, who is the creator of all things, God who is not a being but the sheer energy of being itself, can enter most intimately into the being of a creature non-competitively, non-invasively. He can cause things to be radiant without consuming them. We are more alive, more free, more fully ourselves, precisely in the measure that we surrender to God. That's why the burning bush, see, is such an important symbol. This idea, by the way, which is central to our tradition, runs counter to modern atheism, which is predicated upon the assumption that the more we give to God, 
the less we have to ourselves. Ludwig Feuerbach, not a household name, but very influential figure. Every modern atheist is indebted to him. Feuerbach said, the no to God is the yes to man. See what he's saying? We and God are competitive. The more we praise and glorify God, the less we become. But St. Irenaeus, standing in the tradition I've been describing, he said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. You see how that's the exact opposite of Feuerbach. For Irenaeus, the more you glorify God, the more alive you become. The more you're alive, the more God is glorified. That's the non-competitive, non-invasive God revealed in the burning bush, revealed in that sacred name, I am who I am. Now, with all this in mind, I would now invite you to consider another tree, the one mentioned by Jesus in the gospel parable. Listen. There once was a person who had a fig tree planted in his orchard. The man comes out again and again, but finds no fruit on the tree. He orders that it be cut down as useless. Now, this is a standard trope in the theological literature of Israel. The tree that bears no fruit is evocative of the moral person who bears no spiritual fruit. As I've often said, every single person in God's economy has a mission to be a conduit of the divine grace to the world. Planted in God, think of Jesus' great image of the vine and the branches. You are the vine, we're the branches. We are grafted onto you. Planted in God, we're meant to bring forth the fruits of love and peace, compassion, justice, nonviolence. And notice how this should be effortless. The closer God gets, after all, the more alive we become. Here's the mystery of sin, that lovely Latin phrase, the mysterium iniquitatis, the mystery of evil, is that we resist the invasion of God. We prefer to go our own way. We cling to our own prerogatives, to our own narrow conception of freedom. From Adam and Eve on, this has been the basic form of human sin. It's my life on my terms. But the result of this, friends, is lifelessness. That's the importance now of this image. The result of this is depression. Your life going nowhere. In Dante's language, to be alone and lost in a dark wood. That's the tree that bears no fruit. Just a few weeks ago, we had that lovely image from Jeremiah. The sinner is like a tree that's planted out in the desert. A salt and empty earth. Similar image here. In Jesus' parable, the one 
caring for the tree, begs the owner for one more chance to manure the tree, to hoe around it, hoping to bring it back to life. But he's warned, if no life comes, the tree will be cut down. There is that note of urgency that is struck over and over again in the Bible. Friends, I know it's hard to say, it's hard to take in, but we really can run out of time. We can become so resistant to God's grace that our leaves dry up. Again, this is not divine vengeance. This is, if you want, spiritual physics. It's just the way it goes. That's why the parable's got that sense of urgency about it. Are we like this tree? Lifeless. Do you see in yourselves those gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are you consistently a radiant sign of God's grace in the world? Good. Then you've allowed God to invade you. But if not, it's time to change. Now there's the Lenten power of this reading. What is Lent but a season that rolls around every year, giving us the chance to change, to repent, to change our minds and hearts. See, friends, here's the bottom line. You don't have to be afraid of God. The God of the burning bush is the God who wants you to be fully alive. So stop resisting Him. Surrender to Him. And you'll find a life that you never dreamed possible. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.